0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe
1: Oh Mark. I wasn't fully cleared. You were not. You know, we can just
0: chalk that up to, like, uh, bad internet, you know? Um, do you want Bad internet, running, I... off, running straight from the baseball field. There's a lot of uh, factors involved right there.
1: Yeah, you were at the baseball field. So this is one of your kids is playing? How's that going?
0: Great great you know everyone's uh you know doing what they're supposed to be doing everybody down there has got a mask on and uh no sharing of equipment but uh we're playing baseball so that's you know that's a really positive thing and you know we're always looking for positive things right now aren't we we have an incredible guest tonight folks and we're going
1: to be talking about things that really need to be addressed you know there's there's so much focus on covid but there's something else going on in the world right now that we really need to address Angela Crutchville Callahan is here. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Happy to be here. So glad to have you. Tom, can you give a little bit of background on
2: on Angela? Oh, absolutely. So, our guest Angela Callahan is the owner of Peace Unlimited LLC and executive leadership coaching, lifestyle coaching, and transformational HR consulting practice. Ms. Callahan has also served as Vice Chancellor for Talent and Chief Diversity Officer for the University of Mass Dartmouth and currently serves as consultant diversity inclusion director for Riverside Community Care in Boston. Dr. Joe.
1: Sound familiar? Uh-huh.
2: And, yes,
1: and and this is how I got to meet Angela um, when she was brought on to Riverside Community Care to really help our organization uh, with, our, with our diversity and inclusion and things that, that honestly, I think a lot of people thought we would, you know, doing. And one of the great my one of my great first moments with Angela. Can, can I just tell them? You absolutely
3: can, Dr. Joe. Thank yes, you. if
1: you want to. <laughs> I do, because it, it was really wonderful to, to to even see how even even I am, am learning from Angela. So we, we have our leadership meeting pretty much every Thursday now. And you know it's you know 15, 20, 25 folks who are in the vice president roles and different things um, at, uh, at Riverside and, and Angela is introducing herself and really talking about inclusion and diversity and, and and some of the real challenge that we have. And there I am and I say, well yeah, that's true, but but look at this picture that we have right here. You know we have more women in leadership than men and Angela, called me on it and I was so grateful, right? Because it, it was, it was not. Well, yeah, and,
3: yeah, and, and, and to, 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 add, to add to Dr. Joe's uh, 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 description of the, of the scenario, it was similar to how we are on this screen right now, um, with the exception of two other people of, of color. I'm the only black face on the screen right. talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion and the need for um, change at the senior leader, most senior leadership level in this organization, and 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 Dr. Joe asked a question right after he made that statement. Look at all the the women, you know, and and I let him finish, and you you, you all know yeah, Dr. Joe. Let me
0: Joe. finish. Uh-huh.
3: Hey, I, I let him finish, and I and I and I said just like this, right, Dr. Joe, until he finished, and I said, well, Dr. Joe. You know because he said he wanted to do things what can we do i I want you know what what can we do after he made that statement so i made sure I, i went to his question and i said you ask what can we do how about i start with what you should not do yes right and and specifically walk down that path equating what is a demonstration of a level of diversity and inclusion which is more women is not the appropriate response in dealing with the current state in america and what has happened within the black community far too long based on the undercurrent of systemic racism that our country has been founded upon. So it was important that in that setting and in that moment, everyone heard that because that is how extreme our thoughts have to be right now because of where we are and the needed change that must take place, period. We have to fix this in our our organizations. And it takes conversation, but it's going to also take action.
1: Yeah, and and I tell you, Angela, I, I, I'm getting goosebumps just hearing you talk like this because it is so true. Mm. And honestly, folks, we have to look at these at these things. I mean, I, I thought I was saying something, and Angela absolutely was was right. Is that mm-hmm. no? That's that's not. But the issue is like saying Black Lives Matter, all lives matter, guys. It's, it's, it's happening right now. And the reason I really wanted Angela here tonight was not only to educate us and to help us learn about ourselves and what we can do, but also to recognize that I don't want this to be second page mm. of the paper. It, you know, it's going out George Floyd, happening was happening was front page, and then COVID took over again. We cannot let this be dismissed. We can't, we, we got to keep it in focus.
0: And that's what I wanted Angela here tonight. Dr. Joe, how did you feel on that call when Angela said that? You know what I said? I said, I'm so glad you're here.
1: That's what I said. I'm so glad you're here
3: mm-hmm. because, yeah, yeah, he did.
1: you know, be- because I, I, I need to hear that. I need to be educated. You know, we're, we're at this point in our culture, and I mean, this is why, you know, when, when Tom was introducing this as well uh, about, you know, the anger that's going on, the sense, you know, if, if, you're, not, if you're not on my side, I don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. But this is something that, that that my friend Kenny and Nancy was speaking about weeks ago from Zoom about what it's like, what it was like growing up as people of color and this this is part of why i want the dr joe show to be part of this change Mm -hmm. it's an honor so
3: yeah
1: what can you tell us angela
3: well i'll I'll start to to tag on to what you just said um uh, mark you uh don't know you well but i had an opportunity to 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 look at a couple of your previous shows and i really appreciate uh, your segue during the conversation that you all were having about white privilege a few weeks back, um, how you um, and I want to talk a little bit more about that as well. But this specific point that you transitioned back in that dialogue about uh, uh, Joe and 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 Zoom and as kids back in the 70s, and you said it's been 50 plus some odd years if I remember correctly, and 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 why are we why are we not there yet? Um, we we we've we've never been there. That's that's the problem. There have been pockets of goodness, like what Joe described with with his his Zoom uh, younger colleagues back in that in that very insular world that was created in that Zoom cast and on that set. But that may not have been fully reflective of the experiences and the world for some of those uh, young people of color outside of that bubble. Right and and I'm sure and I didn't watch the full episode with 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 your, your your reunion group but I'm sure they they gave a clear depiction of the life path that they've been on that was probably far different than someone would have ever thought of young people who were come on in zoom I zoom I zoom I zoom. Come <laughs> right. zoom come on in zoom come right you know very different life outside of there right yeah. so. Understanding that we've never been there is, is a first step. And, and really understanding and learning and educating ourselves to raise awareness. And that discomfort is going to come for people. And Joe, during that same conversation, you talked about, you gave an example, and, 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 I, and I'm gonna try not to call you out, but I'm gonna have to, I'm sorry, Joe. Uh, you Use the example of toilet paper, right? And not, and going into a store and toilet paper not being available very, very, very accurate depiction of, of, of experience and and how that time frame when things were not available or when we had to all start standing outside in line to to go in the store that put us all on common ground, right? But there was a slight little bit in there that that kind of bothered me a little bit that I need to say to you, you know, you, it, it almost as you were going in a good place until it felt like you were equating. The experience of not having access to the toilet paper to more of a, uh, a poverty experience, meaning, you know, as a white per, a person with white privilege, it's like we're the haves and you're the have-nots, and that's not always the, necessarily the case. And equating, which is what we were talking about before we started the show tonight, equating uh, poverty to the black community is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that is what I got out of that tiny little bit, which speaks to what I've I've been trying to share with people. You've got to stop and think, what is your intent and what you're saying? What are the behavioral choices? Joe, you might remember this from my session. And then the impact. We judge ourselves by our intent and others judge us by impact. So you've got to go back and take the feedback and make different choices, so that we can make sure that the impact we're trying to have. I got your point, Joe, because I'm a, I'm, I'm going to think I'm going to think through it. But not everybody is going to always get your point, right? So it's about really taking the time to think about what is my intent and in what I'm saying, because our words have power. What am I trying to say here, and what behavioral choices should I make to ensure I'm going to have the right impact?
1: Can you talk a little bit about how you got into this field in general and your, your own pathway and story.
3: Yeah. I, I have happy to share. Um, it was back in 1970. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I, was <laughs> I, I like to have fun Joe. I'm sorry. But I, been, no,
1: when I remember when I was.
3: <laughs> so, you know, um, I, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and, uh, that that literally is the start of my life and my experience, and the setup for what I do right now. And every aspect of my journey along the way has equipped me to do the work that I do right now uh, as a transformational HR professional focused on, um, you know, organizational effectiveness, organizational uh, change, um, you know, uh, training and development, and most uh, most passionately. Diversity, equity, and inclusion as an undercurrent to all of those things. We got to do do what we do in a fair and equitable way. But going back to to my upbringing, being being raised in um, Memphis, Tennessee, you you have a lot of experiences that that shape who you become ultimately. Uh, and 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 if any of my old Mitchell High School friends who are watching this via live on Facebook, they will probably remember this scenario. One of the first experiences actually I'm going to go back before high school. I'm going to go all the way back to, to my younger years growing up. You know, again, our, our, our experiences and mine especially, it, it, it effectively helps you to address these types of things that you deal with. So I remember growing up in Memphis, we would always go visit my grandmother. My grandmother uh, 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 lived in Tunica, Mississippi, right? Tunica, Mississippi, at one point was known as one of the, uh, not one, the poorest county in the nation, mm. at one point, and uh, that's you know where my family is originally from down in that area, and we would always go visit. We, you know, we go, you know, uh, the summers we spend summers there. We'd go, you know, visit on Friday night. That was a common practice for us, driving down the highway in our station wagon, going to visit my grandmother. And the one thing I could never understand is why all of my black cousins attended the all-black public high school and all of the white kids in tunica attended a separate all-white high school i didn't get that i I wasn't processing that as a child but it sticks out it's been in my mind since then clearly because i'm far from the age that i was when i noticed that this was something that that, that happened, and ultimately, the white students ended up going to a, a, a private school that was built just for the white students in Tunica, uh, Tunica, Mississippi. I, I didn't understand why my grandmother would go spend her days all all day and into the early evening at sometimes. I'm sure you know, caring for a white family didn't didn't get all of those things, but those things have always been, you know, playing in my head and 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 seeing and knowing the experiences that that we have had as a culture and specifically even as a family. Uh, Fast forward, we get to high school. I will never forget this day. This was a watershed moment for me and it changed the trajectory of my life and my career path. My high school had us visit, at the time it was called Memphis State University, now known as the University of Memphis. But at the time, Memphis State University, and this was in the year of uh, uh, nineteen. uh 88 we graduated in 90, uh, 1989 so this was roughly 88 89 ish window of time and we went for a visit to the campus and i'll never forget this there was a room where they wanted all of the students to go in as a group your group would go in and we were one of the few all black groups there and i recall a group going in ahead of us and they were invited into the room by student representatives who who said to them um welcome and put your name on the board and they gave this wonderful description of what they were to do and engage them and they would go in one door and go out the other door and then mitchell high school here we come we come through the room into the um, through the door and into the room and we were 100 percent ignored not one of those young ladies representing memphis state university acknowledged this group from mitchell high school We didn't know what to do. We're looking around. Okay, well, I guess we're supposed to put our names up. We're supposed to do something. So we figured out what to do in our little five to 10 minutes in this room. And we're exiting. And my mind, even back then, was always processing. Because clearly, if I remember this, it was processing. And I was one of the last ones to exit from this room. And I'm looking back, and I noticed the next group comes in behind us. Welcome, you guys, come on in. We want you to put your information on the board. Memphis State is one of the greatest places to be and and goes on and on. And I'm literally walking out almost in slow motion. And and the rest of the group, I don't think any of them thought about it. They probably didn't. But that was a watershed moment for me. And I said, from that day on, I would never walk into a room and be ignored. Never because of the color of my skin. And I've put forth great effort to make sure of that. Let's fast forward even more. I made a decision after I, I, I moved from Tennessee, moved to California, lived in California for, for 10 years. And during my time of, of, of living in California, um, I ultimately made a decision, a lot of things, too much to go into, we, we could talk for hours about all of my life experiences, but I made a decision that I wanted to do something different. And I had seen a person at a seminar and I said, hmm, She's doing what I want to do. It was a training class. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. So I became certified, went through the process of of connecting with, at the time, National Seminars Group, flew to Kansas City, went through their whole certification process. But during that certification process, another watershed moment, the instructor said to me, as a part of the whole dialogue and, and, and getting us ready, and she talked to me directly in this setting with other people. And by the way, I was the only black person there. And she said... Well, you know, I'll just be honest with you Angela, you know, for you in this in this industry and in this work as a public speaker, it's going to be very difficult for you. And of course, my inquisitive mind says why? She said you got three strikes against you. You're young, you're black, and you're female. You'll never be successful and you'll never be credible never again <laughs> would I accept that as something as factual about who I am and what I bring to the table. So it's the, those examples are scenarios and situations that have shaped who I am. So I put forth great effort to ensure that, you know, um, when, when people want to say, oh, where, where are you from? And i say, oh, I'm from Memphis. Oh, I knew I heard something in your voice. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And I will tell people that. No, you didn't hear anything in my voice to indicate that I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. So please don't do that to me, right? So you've got to find that for yourself to be able to, to, to effectively do whatever it is you are called to do in life. And I know I'm called to do what I do in, in, in this life and that's to drive impact and, and influence people, right? So for me, um, being upfront speaking and training and helping people find the path and, and, and change, That's what I'm, that's what I'm all about. And for me, that meant transformational HR. So I fell into the HR space because of that. Started off doing theater and singing and doing all of those things. So I knew I wanted to do something that kept me out front because I just like to do that. I call myself an introverted extrovert. My sister, one of them laughed at me the other day. She's like, what is that? I'm really an introvert, I really am. I'm very much to myself. I enjoy my, when I'm by myself, I'm by myself. My mother will even tell you, she used to always You know, say I'm sitting in the corner reading a book while everybody's doing everything else, because that that was just me. But I have to be extroverted to do this work. But if you weren't talking to me today, I would sit here and just sit, and not say a word. Uh, But I I have honed those skills, and, and for some odd reason, things come to me that I'm able to share to influence and help people see things differently. And that is kind of the experience that you've had, uh, had with me, Dr. Joe. So, you know, I've, I've worked in different industries, healthcare, higher ed, aerospace and defense. I've been in different companies. I've traveled this country doing trainings and seminars, and I've built my education. I'm currently a doctoral candidate. And, and, and what's, what's crazy about all that goodness, I had to do it so that I'm always a step ahead of everybody else because I'm a black female. And the value is never placed upon us as black women in the work that we do. And people devalue what we do and, 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 and position us as less than. And it's not acceptable, which is a clear reflection of a lot of what we're talking about and trying to deal with today. So I have the education, I have the experience, I have all of those things that I need to do this work and do this work well
0: do you Do you have like a curriculum that you utilize when you walk into an organization, or do you just kind of play off the energy of what what the audience has for you?
3: I, I customize for specific audiences. Um, you know, for example, uh, with Riverside that Dr. Joe is very familiar with, we are currently focused in on a listening and learning process and building out uh, long-term, a long term, a long term sustainable diversity and inclusion plan is really the priority for me. But in the short term, the interim, post the uh, unfortunate tragic, tragic um, inhumane death of George Floyd, we had to expedite the effort and to really take a different path. For me, diversity and inclusion, we have to have a broad lens. I can't have the narrow lens of just my view of me, Angela, a black female in America. That's important for me to ha- to have that. However, to do diversity and inclusion work effectively, you have to have a broader lens that is inclusive of all. And also being inclusive, not, not at the expense of excluding anyone. You know, I, 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 couldn't ex- I can't exclude the three of you as white men in America in trying to create a more diverse and inclusive environment because then that defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do. I need to educate you and make sure you understand that what you do is neg- that negatively impacts So we customize, for me, I customize things based on the needs of the organization. Much of it is foundationally the same. And a lot of what I build my my work on in this diversity and inclusion uh, space is is built on a model that I use that I call the LEPAS, L-E-P-A-S model, which is a very simple model of listening, educating, planning, acting, and sustaining. When you get those items in, in order and you walk through it effectively, you can see positive change. And that first thing is listening. Right now, just listen. Be quiet and listen in the workplace so that you can understand what the true issues are. So when someone walks in the door of your organization and they say, I come in this place and work every single day and I feel just like George Floyd laying on that ground with a white man's knee in my neck. When they say that, what are you going to do with that? Because that's probably going to knock you off your feet because you're not going to know what to do with that. You've got to be able to take that in, commit to a level of understanding and empathy that says, I saw that, I felt that it was inhumane and it was wrong. But Angela, I need you to help me understand what that means here in our organization when you say that, so that I can understand better the things that we should do differently in the organization. Then that gives me opportunity for dialogue, right? And that raises your awareness and that gives you opportunity to listen. It gives you opportunity to educate yourself and to get more information out of me. So uh, so the model is it hinges on a focus of, of, of change efforts or change planning to move things forward.
1: And do you find that there are different sort of personality types or people, some are responsive, some are resistant, some are in denial. I mean, how do you, how do you, yeah. In this,
3: yeah. Right. In, this, in this current state, um, Dr. Joe, the main thing that I'm seeing is uh, a lot of um, discomfort, a lot of guilt. I think that people are processing differently now than ever before, because they are hearing what is being said, and and the the, the discomfort for many of them is they are they are not comfortable with embracing this undercurrent term that is truth about our country, that many people are racist. And that's a heavy word for people to take in. To to be called a racist, what is the first thing someone is gonna say? I'm not a racist, why would you call me that? So terms are important. So it's not about calling someone a racist, it's about calling out their behavior and giving the appropriate feedback so that they can make adjustments and changes. But you have to be open to that feedback. You have to know that there is truth to white privilege, that there is truth to microaggressions, that there is truth to racial profiling. There is truth to all of these things that show up as discriminatory practices that then funnel into injustices that we have seen for far too long. And that number one injustice on the list started many, 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 many years ago with slavery. What we see at current state in the workplace with disparate treatment in the workplace, we see it with the microaggressions, we see it with the, with the uh, unconscious bias. We see all of these things still alive and well today. I can't do anything when it comes to the, the reform and the changes needed in the justice system. I can't do anything with healthcare disparities. I don't plug and play in that space, but I do plug and play with organizational redesign, organizational effectiveness, what we do in our businesses that should and could be done differently. That is important.
1: And can you talk about microaggression? Because some people may not really understand what that is.
3: You know, that, that that's always an interesting, uh, uh an interesting question because so many people um demonstrate microaggressions literally day in and day out. And so it's kinda it's kind of funny to me when I hear people say, Well, I don't exactly Know what microaggressions? What is that all about? Microaggressions are basically going to be those um, those uh, brief and commonplace uh, uh, um, daily verbal, behavioral, environmental things that we say that will negatively impact a person, creating hostility, uh, creating a derogatory experience for someone else. It could be something as simple as uh, you have a Latino person in the workplace and. And, and you as a white male, you're having a conversation about going on vacation and you make a statement, well, you should be used to that, that hot weather, right? You, you're used to that kind of hot weather. And that person is sitting there saying, what? And what does that mean? I was born in New York. You know, and, and, and equating certain things to certain populations of people and making them feel a certain way uh, by, by saying those things that you say that are negative uh, uh prejudicial slights and insults towards an individual and it happens all the time so when you see people react you know i told you how i did a little acting so when you people when you see people do something like i'm going to demonstrate when you see this happen and you say something and they do you you, you got to know that that's a process that's happening in that moment and if you don't do anything else but observe that that gives you opportunity to pause and say uh-oh okay let me think what did i just say and how do i need to go back and, and, and say that differently Start by asking, I'm sorry, did I say something wrong? Please help me understand because I don't want to be wrong. But be careful with that too because right now, don't make the one black person on your team or the person of color on your team the representative for the entire population because they don't want to do that. I'm just telling you. And if any of them are watching, they'll, they'll note and tell you, yep, Angela, tell them stop doing that. <laughs> don't make me the spokesperson. However, you've got to find a way, Dr. Joe, all of us to navigate those moments when they do happen. And if you see it, with others, you got to say something. That's what it means to be an ally. You see and you observe what's happening to another person, and another person is, being, is treating someone in, in a certain way. you got to confront that person and tell them, that was wrong what you just said, or oh, that was wrong what you, that you just did. I, I'll give you a quick example. I, I saw a story on the other night, and I can't remember what it was on. I watch so much right now, documentaries and things. <clears throat> but I think it was a minister who said, when he started working through this for himself, was a day when he's standing outside. He's doing something outside, and you know, and he looks up and he sees a man driving by in a very nice car, like a, a you know Mercedes or something. And it's a black man. And he said when he realized he had a problem was in that moment that guy drives by and he says, "Hmm, I wonder how he's driving that car." Did you feel that one, Thomas? I saw that reaction. I yeah, yeah.
2: It's that's it's, a, that's a step above uh, the well-spoken thing.
3: Mm, exactly. You're so articulate. You know, you, we, we, we've got to think about it. it. It's a thought, it's, it's thinking. <clears throat> if you're going to try to change, you've got to think and say, what am I really saying or doing that's reflective of me standing on the shoulders of the forefathers of this country who founded this country on racism? Because you are. And you don't even see it and realize it. So having this kind of dialogue is the first step. And don't get me wrong, this is not the only step. Notice I said first, because there has to be action that takes place afterward. Some of you may lose some friends. Some of you may have to cut some people out of your life because you know that they are representative of racist behavior that is no longer acceptable for you if you are at that place of true change. You may have to lose some clients some, some leaders may need to step down to give opportunity for someone else to get into a leadership chair that they are far more capable of holding down than that person that's in that chair. So those are those extreme radical things that we need to start seeing. And we're seeing a little bit of it, but until we start seeing that, we're not gonna see the necessary change to end racism in our organizations.
1: And how do we manage the resistance to this? Because there is gonna be resistance to this change.
3: It, it, it is going to be resistance and it's going to have to be, you know, as it comes, you've got to be able to, 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 to deal with it. You know, uh, if you have, again, you, let's say, you know, you're, you're, you're in a healthcare organization and you have, you have, uh, 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 uh patients who are, let's say long, in long-term care or whatever you or not even long-term care. You have patients who, who come in, who are, who are negative and nasty towards all the people of color who work there. They need to get services somewhere else because you're taking a stance as an organization and saying, "That's not acceptable here. It's not acceptable here." Now, will that require you? would that would that look like a loss for you at times? Absolutely, but the long-term gain is going to be so much more. It's going to be so much more for you because you'll get it right. And now, and now, don't get me wrong. Let me make this clear too, because I think a lot of people have have taken what people are trying to help others understand over the years, and especially now. I am not saying that, you know, I'm going to put on my Oprah voice that, that all the Black people want to be in all the leadership roles. I'm not saying that, right? But I am saying that we've got to make sure that we are creating uh, true um, equitable processes in all that we're doing. If you're hiring people, make sure that, you, you're looking at all the managers are looking at all the resumes and not throwing out Shaquita Jackson because of her name, when Shaquita may have more experience, more education than 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 Dick Jones, right? And Dick Jones gets the job, and Shaquita Jackson, she doesn't, and she has to go work as a clerk somewhere when she's management material, right? So it's it's, it's a lot. This is a lot, you guys. It's a lot. That needs to change in the workplace a lot. Am I too much for you guys? I know. I know you guys. Um, are, this what? is you, this is your hour. Uh, <laughs> you so, uh,
2: my question is: So, where is our responsibility for those people that we're meant to cut off, begin and end? Because I'm always worried about leaving people in a bubble, and I'm uh, I've been friends with people who by by modern standards, I suppose would be racist who uh, it'd be I suppose more obvious for you Angela in dealing with them but mm-hmm. you know if it's just me and them in the room uh, they'll they'll joke and then I'd say be polite in their dealings with people of other races
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but subconsciously, they might not even know it, but still like support systemic racism, it's thinking like, "Well, they shouldn't be rioting." Stuff like that. Uh, without, without moderate voices around them, uh, what's the fate of them if we were to cut them out? Do we leave them with some sort of resources so that if they want to educate themselves, they will?
3: Yeah. To, yeah. To Tom, you have to become the voice, mm-hmm. right? If you if you are educating yourself. You're taking in new, you know, I've put together a whole packet of, of resources for people to leverage. You, you, if you are educating yourself and if you are doing what I call the H-E-A-R-T change for this H-A-R-D change that we're driving and you are ready and you are in that seat of change and you are now the voice, mm-hmm. you've got to be that voice. So when I say some of your friends may need to go, not after you give you know a, a opportunity to try and help them understand. you know I, I think I think you're absolutely right. you know cutting uh, cutting people off without at least giving some nuggets of gold to help them try and be better and dry, try to change, I think that's you know important to do. But how long do you keep trying to do that? That's your choice. That's your call. But you have to know that your communication of what is no longer tolerated, is what you have to say to them. I, 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 you know what? If it's Doctor between you and you and Doctor Joe, you know, let's say <clears throat> Doctor Joe regularly says certain disparate comments that are no longer acceptable for you. What are you going to say to Doctor Joe? Let's role play right now, Tom. What are you going to say to Doctor Joe? Uh,
2: doctor Joe, your this pattern of vilification. I think it's it, a little bit hypocritical uh, the way you've been been so gung-ho with things like, you know, anti-use of force and yet now suddenly you're seeing people getting kidnapped but in unmarked vans by plainclothes officers and now it's well, they should behave. This weird about face is very strange and I'm not a mind reader but maybe a little bit telling. Mm. So I don't know, maybe take a look in the mirror.
3: Yeah. So, so, so it, it's being able to do just that, how you can't control you. Dr. Joe, I've noticed you've said that a few times. I got to look up at my notes on my screen. <clears> I've <If you clears throat> heard you say. No one, this, you influence. <throat> one. <clears throat> Where you talked about change. Yes. You can't right. change Dr. Joe, but you can give input and try and influence Dr. Joe to right. make a shift and make a change. It's about that influence that has to be core for you. And, and I think until we can do that, we won't again see the needed change long term and the sustainable change that's what's important
0: so thomas was talking about um, the black lives matter movement has has taken on a huge huge uh, benefit to our culture really but we were talking about the actual organization that started in 2016 and we're wondering you know do you have to necessarily support the initial the, the, initial understanding of, and, and, and the website, right? The, 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 the 501 C three, the actual organization, capital B black lives matter to support black lives, or can you support black lives and not necessarily support all of what the initial intent of this not-for-profit organization that started supports.
3: Okay, so I think we probably need to have some clarification on, on on certain things because what I'm familiar with as Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013, as I said, in response to uh, the the killing of uh, or the actual, actual acquittal of the, the person who killed Trayvon Martin. And the four, I'm sorry, not four, three young ladies who started that are equating the work that they do and what they launched to, um, they're equating it to what uh, how many people viewed the NAACP and are viewing it as a modern day movement from that perspective. And that is the lens that I come from when I understand and know and talk about Black Lives Matter to help people be able to dock it into a movement and an organization so that they are not finding creative ways to take offense to the statement that Black Lives Matter. Mm because that helps people I think understand that it's a movement and of course all lives matter we all know that but all lives lives truly don't matter until all black lives matter as well you know if we're if truth be told, I heard one commentator say you know black lives have never been full lives in America period let's just be real right and and when we acknowledge that and and, and deal with all of those undercurrents, that is the focus. And I think we lose focus when we get caught up in these sidebar conversations about things that do do not reflect that which was the origin of an organization such as Black Lives Matter and their intent, which is focused on intervening and, and, and addressing supremacy and, 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 and violence inflicted upon uh, uh, the black community uh, by the, the, the legal system. Literally, that is how they started this whole thing. So we've got to not get sidetracked because I think when we get sidetracked, we lose focus on really what this whole thing is all about, and that is ridding our country of this foundational current that has been here for 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 far too long since the inception of our country. You know, the the, the, the racism.
2: And I'm thinking that uh, I wasn't there, but I feel like this is, must be the s- same kind of sidetracking and sticking point that happens back in the you know the during the SNCC and Black Panther movements, with like people like Fred Hampton, where he was vilified, people just thought of him as some radical, uh, and he was murdered by the police. Right. And we were like, oh, thank God that terror threat is out of the way, because mm. he was on the uh, was it the, the list of agitators, not quite terrorists, but agitators. So mm. it was it was justified in like keeping tabs on him, following him. They tried to uh, they tried to assassinate him once by planting a handgun in a cop car so that they could put him in the car, shoot him, and then say he had a gun.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and it so, was all okay because he was some leftist radical.
3: Right, so, so, so Tom, you're, you're describing it. You, you literally just put it in the, right, in the right focus. Those sidebar things keep us from looking at that, which is the real issue. And, and, and I, I refuse, Dr. Joe, you said it earlier, to let this become the back, back page story, page two. This has got to stay on page one. I, it, it, it can't be, oh, everybody everybody had their, their protest. Everybody, you know, put on their shirts and talked about George Floyd. This is much bigger than George Floyd's death. This is about culture change that's sustainable and that's going to be long-term that ensures that all people are valued, that all people are treated the way that they should be treated. Someone said the other day, uh, made a comment that, you know, you know talking it was a good conversation but the person made a statement and they said well you know black people just really want you know they just want a fighting chance and I was offended by that a fighting chance for what what are you talking about you're trying to say that I want to be equal to you no I want to be the black beautiful woman that God designed me to be I don't want to be in a melting pot I want to be in a tossed salad and when you eat a tossed salad what do you taste all the flavors of that salad right I wanna be be who I am and I wanna be valued for who I am and respected for what I am and who I am and what I bring to the table. And we get sidetracked, which is another example of not focusing on the true issues. That has gone on far too long. Racist comments from our leaders far too long. we can go all the way back to the Nixon years where Nixon made a comment and I'm not going to make this political but I'm just going to make this one point where Nixon made a comment post you know legislation as it relates to interracial relationships but he made a comment in a, uh, in, a uh, in a conversation about abortion and he said there are only two reasons he said there were only two reasons when abortion would be acceptable when there was a an actual um, uh, offense of some sort of sexual offense, Towards someone, or if it was an interracial couple, in this this was in the '70s. Who says that's okay? Classy, right? So, are we in a different place now? No. We are not. We are still. It might show up differently. It's like, what do they say? Same same sheet of music, same song, different sheet of music, or something like that. Whatever that statement is, and until. People who do not look like me, who call themselves mainstream America, see that these are issues and are willing to make the true change, it's going to be the same. It cannot be that because a person has had an experience with one black person, now all black men are a certain thing or a certain way. That's wrong. Walking down the street and a black man passes a white woman and she clutches her purse a man out in the in the park bird watching and confronts a woman who's doing something that's not appropriate and she goes into white fragility and picks up the phone and calls the police on the man that man could have been dead in the park educated solid strong professional man could have been dead in the park because she didn't want to put her dog on a leash and suddenly she had fragility. <gasps> Come on, you guys. I, I just speak real. And I think Dr. Joe, you wouldn't have invited me if you didn't if you weren't ready for me. That's, that's, <laughs> you know, and, it, and, it, it's important that we really speak the truth and deal with these issues. Otherwise, we're just gonna continue to be in the same place in this country. No longer acceptable.
1: And I think people have to be able to look at themselves. Yes. It is so much more important to be reflective than reflexive. And it is more important to wonder than to worry.
3: Yes. And absolutely.
1: what, that's what the I am is about. I mean, Angela, you know, the, the, I am is saying we're all valuable. That's what everybody wants.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And at
1: every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value.
2: That's right.
1: Whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. Yes. Every friend was once a stranger. Mm-hmm. We can have more friends. We can have a stronger group. We can have a nation, a culture, a world that works together. That's what we're about. And we've got a few minutes left. The, the IM has two rules.
3: You know Go how we get there. On. One quick thing: how we get there. It's really embracing what's known as. Well, let me ask you all: Do you all know the golden rule? What's the golden rule? Do unto others. Do unto others. As- you would want them. You would have you done unto you. you. Unto you, you're in that equation. Take yourself out of the equation and it becomes the platinum rule. Do unto others as they want done unto them. That means I'm considerate of you and I'm considerate of all and less focused on me. Look out for me, that's important to do, but be considerate of all. And then we can see some positive change that happens in this country. The
1: platinum rule. Yes. So Angela, the, the IMS has two rules. Small changes have big effects. Absolutely. Everything interconnects. What small change can you recommend to our listening audience that, so they can move us closer to what we really need to do?
3: Um, in, in the words of Beyonce, listen. <laughs> <laughs> you got to listen. It's time to really, really stop stop trying to solution set when someone is trying to share with you what the concerns are. Stop trying to defend yourself in the posture of you know someone saying to you, you've done this, you've done that, or these things need to change. Well, I donated to the NAACP. I've I've done this and I don't care about that. I don't need to hear that. I need you to hear me and understand what I'm trying to help you see to, to drive change. So listen, listen and educate yourself. We have the internet, the world right at our fingertips. We got these little wonderful little keyboards. Take that keyboard and Google search. What is white privilege? What is micro micro microaggressions? I don't have to keep asking Angela. What what does it mean to to uh, you know racial profile? What have I done that I can do differently?
1: So Angela, second rule, right? you control no one, you influence everyone. You've got a few seconds. I'm sorry. Yes. What um, kind of influence do you want to be? I,
3: I I want everything I say and everything I do to have positive impact on people and drive positive change in their lives. But they have to do the work. I'm just here to help.
1: Love it. And to thank you so much for coming here tonight.
3: Thank so, you so grateful. Much. I Folks, appreciate the invitation, Doctor Joe.
1: We'll be back next week with the Doctor Joe show. Tom, Mark, good night. Go, go, go. Hey, go, go.